Oh, well, good morning again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here. We're continuing our series uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. And again, there's no slides, there's no projections. So we've got the English Standard Version printed for you on page 10. If you want to turn there, if you have your own Bible, if you want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, most Bibles, if you turn to about halfway, that's usually the book of Psalms. The very next book is Proverbs, and right after that's Ecclesiastes, if you want to turn there yourself. We also have the children's version on page 11. I'll be referring to that as well. And then a couple times on page 2, there's a couple quotes there I'll be referring to as well if you'd like to see those. I'm telling you all this because, again, we don't have slides. Usually they're thrown up there on a slide uh, for you. So as you're turning there, you know, it was fun this morning. If you notice the sermon title, um, music is going to kind of be a running theme through the sermon this morning, and it was great to come in here uh, early this morning, and as soon as the sound team saw me enter the sanctuary, to queue up and hearing Mick Jagger sing, Can't Get No Satisfaction. It's a, it's a great way to start a Sunday morning. Everybody was ready to worship at that point. But I bring that up because music really does have a way of kind of getting to the way we really feel about things, kind of, kind of sing your, you know, you just kind of, sometimes a song resonates with you and you can't help but sing because like, yes, this is how I feel. And especially younger people, whatever younger means to you at that stage of your life, you tend to get it. Like, let's think of, you know, for those of you who wouldn't call yourselves particularly young right now, let's kind of go way back, let's think, Fortunate Son, Credence, Clearwater Revival. Remember that one? Yeah. But how it, it often seems that others just have this easy path. Things are handed to them. They don't have to struggle. Or how about this one? Maybe if you're a little younger than that, how about you two? Still haven't found what I'm looking for. They admit trying everything culture has to offer, and it doesn't satisfy. Or maybe if you're a little younger still, Goo Goo Dolls and their song, Name about the pain and the regret in life and how culture offers no solutions but tries to put us to sleep with entertainment. Younger still, three doors down, be like that. An intense ache to be rich, to be safe, to be happy, just for a day so they could be free of worry, stress. Even younger, Echo Smith, be like the cool kids. Right, we can all relate to that one, right? The cool people just seem to have it made. I don't know who decides who's cool and who, who's not. I was never on that side. But they just seem to have it made. And the rest of us are just outsiders looking in. Finally, today, Olivia Rodrigo, jealousy, jealousy. Someone who already is famous, probably rich at this point, yet admits that our culture's beauty standards and the way everything on Instagram looks like everything is having such a great life, how she feels she can't handle the weight. She cares so much about what others think. It leaves her empty. It leaves her angry. Super popular song from every decade for the last 50 years. The idea of not being satisfied with the world around us. Wanting something more, something to be different. Because universally, life is unsatisfying. To use the word from Ecclesiastes, it's vanity, which we don't know what that means nowadays. It's frustrating. It's vaporous. You try to grab some substance and there's nothing there. See, Ecclesiastes gives us permission to admit that life is frustrating. And then it points to the rest of the Bible for answers to these questions that it brings up. So some context real quick before we get to the passage. So the author, it's either Solomon himself or someone writing as Solomon. Either way, in the ancient world, that was not considered wrong. It was a way, actually a way to honor somebody. Either way, the Holy Spirit's the ultimate author of this text, and the author is con has considered different answers to the big question. Chapter 1, verse 3. What's the ultimate point of everything? Why are we here? What's it all about? 
Last week, we saw that he summed up his quest to taste life. And in this chapter, he's going to go through and actually show us systematically everything he did to find out if he could be happy here. He tries pleasure, he tries possessions, he tries accomplishments, and he still ends up empty. He writes as one who's tried it. He's lived it. Been there, done that is true of him. And so for most of us living in exhaustion, which is probably many of us in this room, just so tired of just the same old treadmill, keeping despair just at arm's length away, this passage helps us examine the things that we turn to for rest, for happiness, for relief from the frustrations under the sun. So with that, here now, Ecclesiastes chapters 2, verses 1 through 11. Again, it's found on page 10 for you. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. And I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Uh, let's go together in prayer before we go to God's Word. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that as we come to your text this morning that you would open this text up to us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us your truth, that we would see ourselves as we really are, and that you would see, that we would see your gospel, Lord, and that we would cling to Christ alone for salvation. We pray you would do all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So our theme for today, we're going to kind of go, just if I can give you one sentence, is this. You can't buy happiness, but we still try. So what, what, the text starts out with what we're calling a happy experiment. Solomon, he decides what he's going to do is he's going to test his heart, he says. Now, when we hear that, we think emotions immediately. To an ancient Near Eastern mindset, that's not what the heart was. The heart in the Old Testament is the control room. The heart tells our emotions what to feel. The heart tells our body what to do. The heart tells our brain what to think. That's how they would have considered it. So what he's saying here is, I'm going to test my command and my control system to find happiness. He's not just taking an emotional journey. He's taking a whole person journey. He's going to go all in for these answers to see if they work. And he wants to know, is there something in this world 
that can satisfy my heart? That's the question of all of us, isn't it? It's the question of our neighbors as well. Is there anything out there that will fulfill me? I would just let me exhale and just rest for just a moment. So he tells us in verse 1, he's going to grab pleasure. He's going to squeeze as much pleasure out of life that he can. Now, pleasure here is not some superficial thing. Pleasure, this is a deep, deep desire. I want you to think of maybe two old friends. Maybe you have a really old friend that just because of the circumstances of life, you don't get to see very often. I have one of those, and I remember we hadn't seen each other in like 10, 15 years, and we finally saw each other, and we looked at each other, and there was just no words. We just kind of stared at each other, and all of a sudden, we just got this joyful face, uh, each of us, and we just laughed and embraced this deep pleasure of seeing each other after so long. That's what he's talking about, something very deep inside each of us. He's experimenting to find out, can I get that here all the time at will? It's what we all want to find out. And I love how he doesn't bury the lead. He tells us first thing, right off the bat, it doesn't work. The quest to find happiness under the sun, the fulfillment in this cursed world, it's not going to work. But he's still going to take us through the process. He still wants us to understand. C.S. Lewis put, put it this way. This is on page two if you like to follow along or just listen. About 80 years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, most people if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. Just this week, where have we gone to try to fill our heart? What have we done to try to get some pleasure out of our our ache and our longing for joy? Where have we gone? What have we done? Ecclesiastes tells us here that he is going to use all his resources to do just that. He's going to find as much pleasure as he possibly can. So get ready. It's time to queue up Cool in the Gang. Let's celebrate some good times. Come on. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide verses 2 through 9, his project, this way. He looks for happiness first in the man cave. Then he looks for happiness in the dream home. And then he looks for happiness in the fantasy life. So first of all, man cave. Okay, what's a man cave? Well, actually, did you know, I Googled this. There's actually an official female version of this. Anybody know where it is? She shed. That's right. I had no idea. That's a thing. I thought State Farm made that up in that commercial. No, this is a real thing, right? So a she shed. So a man cave, a she shed. What is that? It's basically a place where you can do your own thing. No one shorter than you is going to come in and mess up your stuff like they do. No one who you care a great deal about is going to come in and say, this place is a mess. You can watch a game without any interruptions. You can have a beer, have your friends over. You can be loud. You can be quiet. You can be joyful. You can be sad. You can cry. You can shout. You can do whatever. It's your space. And Solomon says in verse 2, that's what he's going to do. He's going to be happy. Just make the decision. He's going to laugh at everything. He's going to be light. He's going to just have his own time. And he says it doesn't work. It doesn't bring pleasure. One scholar paraphrases verse 2 this way, laughter and merriment for their own sakes were madness. What did they accomplish to help me find lasting meaning and purpose in life? Verse 3 on this quest is clear alcohol was involved in this merriment. Solomon is very clear here, though. He's not talking about drunkenness. That would be way too easy. That's why he throws that little phrase in there, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. He's saying, I wasn't drunk. He's basically saying, look, neither the highbrow sipper nor the lowbrow pounder is going to find satisfaction in drink. doesn't matter whether you're a sommelier or you don't even know what that is. It's not going to fulfill your heart because he's doing an experiment. 
So he's maintaining control. He's really asking, okay, I'm going to jump in and do this. Will it really work? Am I happier? Does this make me feel better? Does this fulfill me? Have I found pleasure to anchor my life? See, the man cave, the she shed, is all about escapism. A light-hearted enjoyment that comes from getting rid of the cares of life for a moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as that's all it is, a momentary pleasure. But what he's testing is, can escapism fulfill the longings of my soul? Can I really find a way just to forget all my troubles, forget all my worries, and go downtown? See, this ache, this is why entertainment and hobbies have such a pull on our hearts. Why we're so willing to spend time and money on them because so often we are looking at them to be more than entertainment. We're looking for an escape to fulfill our heart. Something to satisfy this longing in our soul to be happy. But as we see here and as we know deep down inside, we still haven't found what we're looking for. The ache for pleasure cannot be satisfied in this world. So next he turns to the dream home. Look with me if you would there on page 10, verses 4 through 6. He says this. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Note that myself repeated over and over again. He leaves us no doubt as to his motivation here. You know, the Old Testament tells us that Solomon built the temple, this immaculate, beautiful, glorious thing for God's worship, and he cared so much about it, he took seven years to organize foreign labor and get all the supply chain issues worked out and built this wonder of the ancient world. It was glorious. And then the text tells us, if you're familiar, another little nugget. He spent 14 years to build his own house. See, he's bragging here about his accomplishments, about, I built this house, you should see it. So I have to confess to you, I hate yard work. I think lawns are dumb. I think they're unnatural. This kind of enforcing species uniformity on a given area is just ridiculous. We should all let it go wild. So I, I do the bare minimum yard work. I do just enough to love my neighbors well, so I won't be that neighbor, okay? But there's the other kind of neighbor, right? And we all know that neighbor, the neighbor who's out there at 5.30 a.m. with a pair of scissors. Oh, there's a dead blade of grass. There we go. And like, it's immaculate. It looks better than the vacuumed carpet in our house. Like, how do you get your, I didn't know grass could be that green. And shrubs are like immaculate. It's just beautiful. I'm not that guy. But Solomon was. He had the best house. He had the best yard. Just to see if having the best, having my dream home, my dream lot, will this make me happy? And again, this is much deeper than just trying to show off. Okay? He's not getting his house prepped for an episode of MTV Cribs. He's trying to get his heart fulfilled through having this home. See, this text points to a very deep universal desire if we have the, the mind to see it. Verses 4 through 6, especially in the original Hebrew, they use vocabulary and imagery that goes back to the first couple chapters of Genesis. See, what Adam was supposed to do in Eden, Solomon is, is trying to do in his backyard. He's trying to make an Eden for himself, a place under the sun where he can find happiness and rest, where he can get back what was lost. He tried to solve the frustrations of life with a counterfeit Eden. And isn't that exactly what we do? I mean, forget the yard work, okay? Eden was what? Complete joy, complete acceptance with God, complete freedom, peace, and fulfillment. 
And it's all lost. And our hearts ache. They yearn to get that back. And it's a universal desire. If you would, take your bulletin out and turn to page two with me. I want you to see this, the lyrics from this song by Three Doors Down called Be Like That. This is the chorus. And each verse is about maybe I could, if I could just be like this rich person I saw. Or there's, there's a chorus written from the perspective of someone who's in an abusive relationship. And if I can just get into a non-abusive relationship. And there's someone else who's just unhappy and they see happy people. And they say, if I could just get into that. And the chorus between all of those is this right here. Third one down. says, so if I could be like that. I would give anything just to live one day in those shoes. If I could be like that, what would I do? Lord, what would I do? See, there's this universal longing. The image of God inside of us remembers and hungers for Eden. We want that back. That's why we're so driven to do something in our life, to accomplish something, just ignore this longing in our heart, to make our lives matter, to exhaust ourselves, just to forget this ache. I mean, look into your heart right now. I want you to think about your future self that you daydream about. Yeah, that's right. I know. They've done the thing, haven't they? The thing that you just know. If this thing is fixed, it's okay. I can rest. I can be happy. What's your thing? Is it being debt-free? Is it driving the car? Having the house? having the vacation, having the spouse, not having the spouse. What is the, what is the thing your future self says? If I can have the thing, I'll be happy. You daydream about it. It's your peace. It's your rest, isn't it? Ecclesiastes comes and says, it's not going to work. Even when you get the thing, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be happy. So if it's not the man cave, it's not the dream home, well, then it must be the fantasy life. Starting in verse 7 through verse 9, he's going to talk about his possessions and his activities. He tells us he has all this livestock, right, which is wealth. And then in the same context, he talks about his slaves, his hired servants, and they give birth to more slaves. He tells us in verse 7, I had slaves who were born in my house. This is not about the luxury of being served. In the context, he's talking about he has growing assets, He's bragging about his portfolio and his ongoing stock options. He's doing better in the market than any that came before him. It's not just that. Verse 8 tells us that he's got great cash flow. Foreign tribute and taxes are just pouring in. And his wealth allows him to live out any fantasy. If his heart can dream it, his wealth can fund it. I mean, he's, this is where he's showing off. He's showing off right now. He's getting ready for Robin Leach to come on over and, and present him on this episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. If you don't know what that is, under 40 people, ask someone over. They'll tell you. And that's a fantasy for so many of us, isn't it? Not to worry about resources, not to worry about time, not to be exhausted on the brink of despair. If I could be like that just for a day. And he goes on in verse 8 to show how fabulous this lifestyle is. If he liked the song, he didn't just like it on Spotify. He didn't just download it to his phone. He bought the band and made them live in his house anytime he wanted. Play your song. And in a time when the only choir around was the Old Testament temple choir, which was men only, notice he goes out of his way. I had female singers too. I got some alto and soprano going on there. And then he says, of course, and I had many, many concubines. And it means exactly what you think it does. This is the life so many people fantasize about, isn't it? All the money, 
all the possessions, all the physical pleasure he could ever want. And at the end of verse 8, it's not just to satisfy the children of man. He says specifically the sons of Adam. This is what everybody wants. He's using his resources to take to the extreme the fantasy of all fallen people. Happiness can come through wealth or through the titillation of false love. See, if you'll allow me, verses 7 through 9, if we're going to translate this into our vernacular, verses 7 through 9 are about possessions and pornography and the false promise that they bring to so many people in this room who right now are addicted to one or both of them. But they leave you empty, don't they? Covered in shame, not happy. So there's his experiment. He tried to find pleasure in the entertainment of the man cave with accomplishments in the dream home, with wealth and titillation in the fantasy life. And how has his experiment worked out for him? Well, he tells us, starting in verse 10, it's an unhappy result. Yeah, I became the greatest king ever, very popular, but like the drinking in verse, in verse 3, I didn't let it go to my head. I was still able to examine the results. And he makes this incredibly honest statement in verse 10. Let's look at verse 10 together. What does he say? It says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. See, he did find some heart pleasure in it. He admits it, does, it did work for a little while. And I don't appreciate that honesty. I don't want him to say that. The religious person in me wants him to say, it was all terrible. It never brought me happiness. That way I can tell my kids that all the stuff out there that scares me that they find so attractive, I, oh, it won't work, it won't bring you happiness. But the text here is honest with us. And so let's be honest with ourselves. Stuff, the accumulation of it does bring a momentary happiness, doesn't it? You, you do get a happy bump when you do these things a little bit, don't you? Here's how I put it for the boys and girls in there, verse 10. Boys and girls, if you want to look, page 11, your verse 10 says this. I got whatever I wanted, no holding back. Honestly, all that work to have that kind of life did make me happy for a little while. See, it did work for a bit. He found some happiness. And he's honest. Let's be honest, too. The consumerism of our culture that our, our economy rests on, we all live in it. It tells us what? Pleasure does come through possessions. Pleasure does come through the appearance of wealth. And we've all felt that emotional bump from retail therapy, haven't we? There's something so attractive about getting whatever he wanted, isn't it? Isn't there? He has the life that we imagine most celebrities have, the life that we assume deep down would make us truly happy. And he indulged since he had the means, but he, and he confesses, it sort of worked out. It sort of made me happy, but it didn't give me deep, satisfying joy. It didn't fulfill me. He says that he had to keep working at it to keep that lifestyle up. He calls it toil. He had to do more and more to keep getting that little bit of happiness and pleasure back it's really the same thing you and I go through, isn't it? When we struggle, in church world, we call this a habitual sin. Outside church world, we call it an addiction. And verse 1 through 9 show the progression, don't they? He eventually did get bored with the man cave, and so he spent 14 years building the dream house, and that wore off, and so then he went all in for the lifestyle of wealth and, and women. He lacked for no fantasy. 
Those of you here struggling against habitual sin in an addiction, you know. You get that progression, don't you? There's an ever-increasing desire for an ever-decreasing reward, isn't there? The pleasures of this world didn't read their Stephen Covey. They always over-promise and under-deliver. I saw one guy put it this way. He said, the offerings of this world have a marketing department that's much better than their manufacturing department. Because what does it do? It causes us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that sin, trying to find the same reward we used to get. And in a room this size, many of you find yourself going to darker and darker places on the internet, don't you? Places a person like you would never go because you're no longer getting the same payoff you used to, are you? If you're caught in an addiction like that, there is grace, healing, forgiveness, and freedom available to you right now. You don't have to live in shame. You can be set free. Come see me. Come, come talk to Marty. Talk to your shepherding elder. I am already the accountability partner for many Covenant Eyes reports. I can add one more and help you. It's not a problem. We can talk. You can be free. You can have joy again if that's you. See, and that promise of joy, it's hinted at here in verse 11 where we see what's the happy consideration. Let's look at verse 11 together. He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done, And the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he said, I considered. It's literally the Hebrew verb for he turned and he faced it. He really looked at the experiment, and he goes, you know, I found some happiness, but life is still frustrating. I wasn't satisfied. He had all those singers from verse 8, but he tells us here that a tired song keeps playing on a tired radio. See, if you've given your heart to seek fulfillment in the man cave of entertainment, in in the dream home of accomplishment, or in the fantasy life of possessions and sensuality, instead of just toiling away, trying your best to keep up on that treadmill you put yourself on, do what Solomon does. Consider. Examine truthfully. Is this working? You know, there are all sorts of reasons that people end up in a church on any given Sunday. So maybe you're here today and the Bible does not carry much weight with you. I want to share with you someone outside of Scripture who, who lived the Ecclesiastes 2 lifestyle, who did have it all and who did consider. I want to go back in time to 17 years ago. I tried to find if he has changed his views or if anything in the last 17 years has changed. I couldn't find any. I'm, I'm willing to be corrected. But back in 2005, Tom Brady, quarterback for the New England Patriots, gave this really incredible interview on 60 Minutes. He had just won his third Super Bowl at age 30, had just signed a $60 million contract, and as an unmarried man was routinely on magazine covers as the most eligible bachelor on the planet, if you saw a picture of him out in popular media, he always had a supermodel on his arm. He could date any woman he wanted. He could buy anything he wanted. He could pretty much get away with whatever he wanted. And he gave this incredible interview to 60 Minutes, and the interview is trying to get him to validate that, yes, I'm happy. Yes, this is it. I've achieved it. And so he kind of gives him that setup, and Tom Brady answers this way. He goes, well... Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. But for me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be, right? Shocked, the interviewer looks back and goes, what's the answer? And Brady replied, I wish I knew. 
I wish I knew. Scripture says it. Someone who's been there says it. We're all wired to find ultimate happiness and nothing under the sun can really satisfy. But we're still thirsty for that pleasure. We still want that pleasure and that's a cue. We were made to find pleasure. God's not the grand killjoy. We have this thirst because he invented pleasure. He invented happiness and he wants us to have it. God wants us to have more pleasure and joy than than anything under the sun can offer. He wants to flood our lives with that. I mean, just think again of the Eden story. So often we come to Scripture stories, don't we? And we kind of do it antiseptically or religiously, and so we, we, we bring all these presuppositions of purity and weird stuff. Just read it like you would anything else, and what do you have? You have a story of what? Two naked adults, all of their resources provided for, and God basically says, y'all go have fun, enjoy yourselves. Right? I mean, the sons of Adam, the children of humanity, want that back. C.S. Lewis again puts it this way, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy but only suggest the real thing waiting for us. See, human beings have a cross-cultural, pan-national desire to be happy. When you have that, it's not a stereotype, it's an archetype. We were made for pleasure. We were made for happiness. And the Bible says that comes from being restored to a relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. The creator who tells us, if you want to look, it's on page two. Psalm 1611 tells us this, that when we're in God's very presence, what? In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's that pleasure-giving God who himself became one of us in Jesus, who then he he himself said, John 10.10, I've come to give you abundant fullness in your life. And he shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. He was raised from the grave to defeat death and bring us adoption into his very family. And when we are adopted into him, we get to taste that pleasure and that joy promised to us by our creator. Because in Jesus, we're adopted back into God's family. Now, do you want that joy? Do you want that pleasure? You know you do. Hear the message of the gospel again, that Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice for you, wants to give you the joy and the pleasure of God's very presence in your life. God the Father wants to adopt you and give you the fullness of joy and pleasure he promises. Embrace that. Turn to Jesus even now. Place your faith and trust in him today, and you can be satisfied. Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, when we come to texts like this that are so honest, it's very easy for us kind of to ignore them because they cut too deep. Lord, I pray that even now that you will bring deep conviction to all of us to see where we have been looking for this world to bring us pleasure and joy. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to consider and see how distasteful and unsatisfying it really is. Lord, would you then give us the strength to turn and take our thirst to Jesus who can fulfill us. Lord, I pray that even now as Jesus Christ has been lifted up and portrayed as crucified for sinners and raised for our life, that you would be true to your promise, you would draw all people to him. 
Would you do your work of building your kingdom even now, Lord, and cause many to repent and believe? And Lord, I pray for the Christians here right now who are struggling in a deep addiction. I pray you would give them even now freedom through Jesus Christ. That you would give them the strength and the courage to reach out for help. That they might find the joy that's found in breaking that bondage. And we pray you would do this, Lord, by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.